Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Just to be safe. No, just kidding. Um, but, yeah, next week we're going to be, we're, as they said, we're going to be starting a study on the life of David. And it's just going to be a short seven-week study. There's so much that we could talk about with the life of David that we won't have time to nearly get uh, into all of it. But we'll at least get a good picture of some of the key ideas, some of the key relationships in his life. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be a really fun series, I think. Uh, I was talking to somebody else about this, and uh, they said, I don't ever really think of Sunday school as fun. But it is fun, and it's going to be great. And so we would love to have you come and join us to be a part of that. It's going to start right at 9.30. And a lot of times the way that our Sunday school works is we start with, uh, like, announcements and, and prayer time and things like that at the beginning right at 9.30. And then we move into our teaching time. But we're going to start with our teaching right away at 9.30. So you don't want to be late. Make sure you get your kids here. Drop them off, those of you that have kids. And then be here ready to get going right at 9.30. Um, so this is going to be our last Sunday for, uh, for the year of, of preaching our, our sermons connected to the memory verses that we have been memorizing throughout the year. So we've been working through this foundational 50, these, these series of verses that have different themes and we've been trying to memorize these as a congregation and, and talk about these. And, and our sermon series has been working towards that and, and helping us get some ideas around what these verses are about so that as we memorize them, they kind of stick a little bit better. This will be our last time doing that as we move into the fall. We're going we're gonna to move into that David study. So that doesn't mean you can, should stop memorizing those verses. If you have the list, we keep working on those. If you don't have the list, we'd love to get you... Some, even if you're behind, we'd love to have you just join in. But we won't be preaching from that anymore, but we will be today. And, and our verse today is Romans chapter 12. Nathan, can you put up that first verse? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is, is going to be our verse today. And if you have a Bible, I'd love to have you turn to Romans 2 because we're going to be looking at the context. But uh, as you see it up on the screen there, it's, our verse is, is this. It's a familiar one for you if you've been around church for a while. If you haven't, then it probably is unfamiliar to you, but... Uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you're familiar with this verse, I, often when, I, when I've read this verse, the way that I approach it, the way that it, it, it sticks with me is this idea that, okay, Paul is saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and the way that I have read this and understood this is that uh, Paul, for 11 chapters, has been giving us a, a pretty thorough theological understanding of God's grace. And so now what he's saying is, is if you just know this grace, if you just get this into your head enough, then you're, and, and you think enough of it, then you will be transformed. So we just have to understand God's grace enough, and then our lives will be transformed, our minds will be transformed, and, and then we will no longer be conforming to the patterns of the world, but will be transformed because our minds have been renewed. Now, I don't know about you, but in my experience, this hasn't actually been true. Uh, how many of you? How many of you know 
people who really know the scriptures, they really know what God's word says, they really understand God's grace, but their lives are still kind of messed up. How many of you? Oh, good. Some of you. The rest of you, good for you. Uh, and how many of you also know people who have pretty, like, they're, they're good people. They don't know anything about God's grace, but their lives reflect some pretty good things. Yeah, all of us. So it's not just a corollary of we've got to understand God's grace enough, and then if we do that, all of a sudden our lives are going to be changed. And we know that in our own personal experience too, right? That, that it's not just enough for us to know what God's word says in our lives because we still make mistakes. We're still sinful people. Like the, it doesn't, it's not as though, well, I, just, I, I come to church every week and I learn these things, and after about 20 years it sticks and good to go. Uh, we still have to, we, there's, there's something else going on here. Uh, this isn't really borne out by the, uh, the evidence in our lives. It's not like a computer where we just download the right software, and once it's there, it does what it's supposed to do, right? There, there's something else going on. How many of you know how to ride a bike? Oh, good. Uh, I'm not going to ask if you don't know how to ride a bike, because that might be embarrassing. It's okay if you don't. It's uh, probably your parents' fault, not your fault. So... Uh, so I have a video here that I'm going to show you. There's no audio to it. Uh, there, at least there, I hope there isn't. Um, but and it's gonna, it's just going to be going. Uh, Nathan, if you click it over, one more should start playing right away. Okay, so you don't have to worry about what this guy is, is talking about. But he's basically talking about riding a bike. And if you learn to ride a bike, they, have you ever heard the phrase "It's like riding a bike," right? What does that mean? Yeah, you don't forget, right? What happens when you learn to ride a bike is it's, it's this process of learning balance and skills and turning the, turning the steering wheel and figuring out how to brake. Yeah, and, and you, once you get all of that, uh, you just get it. Like, here's a, here's a six-year-old kid riding a bike. And so what this guy does, though, so he's got a friend who's, who is some kind of, likes to tinker with things. And what he's done here, and what you'll see is he made this bike that... that is backwards. So you turn the wheel, turn the steering wheel one way, and and it goes the other way. So he's his friend gave him this challenge: Can you learn? Can you ride this bike? And and it's it's he, you'll see him. He he can't do it. Um, so he, he's trying to figure out how long is it going to take him to, to figure out how to ride this bike. And he does this thing. You'll see it's it's coming. Uh, he does this thing where he's constantly, he challenges people. He says, I'll give you 200 bucks if you can ride this bike uh, 10 meters, and nobody can do it. It's, and, and he understands, okay, I mean, you understand basically the concept of, of okay, it's backwards. And there's, there's a cognitive understanding of this is what must be taking place. But our brains, if you've learned how to ride a bike, your brain has developed the muscle memory, all of the things of learning how to ride a bike that just stick. And it's not, just, it's not as easy as just saying, okay, well, I have to think my way to it. Yeah, uh, It's not as easy as just having to think your way towards doing it. it you, your brain actually has to be retrained over time in order to be able to ride this, this backwards bike. And scientists actually talk about this. They say 
that that are, this is like the the way that our brains are wired. So that uh, have you ever like a raindrop uh, on a window? Have you ever watched like when you're a kid or driving in the car and you're look, you're looking out the window and and the a drop of water like makes a path down and then the next drop of water makes the same path down and it keeps happening. And every now and then, what happens? There's uh, something splits off, right? A, a water drop splits off to a different path. And if it happens a second time, all of a sudden the path changes to something else, right? This is actually how our brains work. And what he's talking about here is that he, he worked, he, so he, worked, he set himself a challenge to figure out how to do this. Maybe you've seen this video before, but uh, he set himself a challenge to do this, where he rode down his driveway for like 15 minutes every day. He practiced on this, on this bike to be able to get down. And, and after about, I think he said about, it took him 80 days of practicing every day on his driveway. And they, other people have come along and they said, actually, if you go longer distance, it happens faster. Some people did it within a couple days. And uh, it depends on how you're doing and all that kind of stuff. But really what is happening, what he talks about in this video and what, uh, what other people talk about is there's, there comes a moment when your brain switches. And he said he, he actually says in the video that he could feel it in his brain that all of a sudden it switched over and he now knew how to ride this backwards bike and he's going to do it there he's he's figuring it out and it took him took him a really long time and he said he said that what would happen sometimes is once he figured it out if like his phone would ring in the middle of it he would get distracted and he'd lose it and he'd fall over uh and all these sorts of things that where if something came and you get a distraction, all of a sudden you lose it again. And so it requires this really thoughtful... And then he had his kid do it. His kid is just learning how to ride a bike. And it took him like a couple hours. Why? Because kids' brains are... They, the, the scientific word is neuroplasticity. That our brains are plastic. They can be molded. They can be formed. And a kid's brain this is why kids can learn languages better. They can... Because they are in a place where their brains are constantly being, uh, being trained and being formed. And so his, he challenged his case, he said, I'll, I'll, introduce, I'll take you to meet a real-life astronaut if you can figure this out. And it took him like two hours to do it. So he had to take his kid to meet an astronaut. Um, so, so what's fascinating about this, one last thing I think is about to ca- happen. So after this, after he figures it out, it took, him, it took him, again, almost three months to figure it out. And he was writing every day. What happens then is he actually, his brain forgets how to ride a normal bike because he was doing it so often. So here he's in Amsterdam and he's uh, invited some friends and he's going to put a, get out a, a real bike and and he can't do it uh, and he and everyone's looking around like this who's this stupid guy that doesn't know how to ride a bike, uh, but but it, it took him about 20 minutes to re for his brain to relearn how to ride a a normal bike. And same thing, he said there's a moment where it just, his brain switched and it went back to the normal thing and he figured out how to ri- ride a bike. So here he's going to fall a couple times. Everybody thinks, who's this dumb American that can't ride a bike? And uh, in just a second here, he's going he's gonna to figure out. And, it's, and he, he's talking as he's doing it and he actually says, like, there it is, I got it. Like, he, he can f- almost feel his brain switch over. Um, so anyway, here he gets it. I, nope. Uh, anyway, uh, we can we can close off the video if you want. You can search reverse uh, reverse bike or something like that on YouTube, and and there's a bunch of videos of people trying it. And um, you can actually go out, buy one if you really want to do that to yourself. But 
so all that to say is uh, our brains require training. And we, we learn, we develop muscle memory. And, and it's not just a matter of understanding and, and knowing the concepts, but it actually takes practice. And it takes a, a rewiring of our brain. And I don't think, obviously, Paul doesn't have any kind of uh, understanding of modern brain science to know how this works. But I think this is what Paul is getting at when he's talking about this. Is this idea of the renewing of our minds isn't just about thinking our way towards a better life or thinking our way towards living out in response to grace. The, this theme of the verses that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks is called, has been grace living. And Paul isn't just saying, well, you just got to gotta know it enough to, and then your life will change. But it's, it's actually this development and, and training of our brains and, our, and creating patterns so that, so that we can continue to do this. Our brains develop in a way that we can perform complex tasks like bike, riding a bike uh, without having to think about it. It doesn't, it, you don't, if you know how to ride a bike right now, you hop on and you don't have to think, Okay, push the pedals, balance. You know, all those things just come naturally. You drive a car, same sort of thing, right? You get in the, and Pastor Jim talked about this a couple weeks ago too with, with walking. We don't have to, when you're a baby, you have to think every step about how to walk. Uh, now, you don't, you don't have to do it. You can just walk. And if you have an injury or something like that, you have to relearn. But the same sort of thing. So I think this is what Paul is getting at here. I think what he's, what he's telling us is that it, it requires this practice, this training. So what does this look like? Let's get into the, to the context here and really dive into what is Paul saying? Because we can understand, okay, there's, there needs to be some thought to this and some, some action behind the, the be not conforming and the transforming. But what is he really talking about? So if you're in Romans chapter 12, let's just start in verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This, this verse here uh, really comes in at the, at the climax. These two verses, I think, actually are probably... I don't know. Romans is, is an incredibly dense, an incredibly deep book. But I would posit to say that these two verses here are the most important verses in the letter to the Romans. Obviously, there's a whole lot of really important verses in there. But to get the whole context of what Paul is saying, these two verses here provide the linchpin between chapters 1 through 11 and everything that comes after in chapters 12 through 16. And these two verses really give us this connection point from what Paul has been doing for the last 11 chapters and then what he wants us to understand for the next several chapters. And so, I mean, you can disagree with me on whether the most important ones or not. That's fine. But I think to understand the whole, the whole context, these verses really give it to us. Because for 11 chapters, what Paul has been getting at, and he says this in this first one, in view of God's mercy, what he's about to, what he's about to tell us for the next several chapters is in light of God's mercy. And what he's been laying out for 11 chapters is what is God's mercy? What does this look like? What is this mercy of the God that we serve and worship? These Romans, these are, these are people who are Christians. 
And he's been explaining to them about this way of life and, the, and this, this love of God that has come on their behalf. He's been describing and defining this new reality. A reality that where, where all of our striving, all of our, all of our trying to be good enough in this world has fallen short. And he describes this, this reality where even though we have fallen short, even though all that we have strived for to be good enough in God's eyes and in the, in the eyes of others has fallen short, even despite all that, there's a reality where we are declared more than enough. We are de- declared uh, more than enough because of the love of God. Because of the love of God for each and every single one of us. Not only for each and every single one of us in this room, but for the world. This love of God for the world has declared that, that we are loved. That we are found. That we are chosen by God. And that God demonstrates this love. You know this verse. That while we were sinners, not once we were good enough, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And this life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the new reality of our world. And he's, he's, he's been describing this, he's been laying this out. He goes into all kinds of passages where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, that's actually Second Corinthians, sorry. Uh, he says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans. He says, for, for those of us that are found in him, there is no longer anything that should bring us shame and say, you are not good enough. You have been found, you've been declared. And so he says here in verse 1, he says, Therefore, in view of this mercy of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In view of this mercy of God, no longer conform to this old way of life, this old pattern of this world, but be transformed. Live your lives into this new reality that, has, that is not... It's, it's, it's as though we have been riding a, a backwards bike for our whole lives. That it's been reversed. And it's, I don't know if you noticed that even when he got it, it was like still wobbly. Like It's not the way a bike is meant to be if that was the way bikes were meant to be that's how they would be and we'd all figure out how to do that but it's as though we're we've been making it along in this backwards way for our for our whole lives and christ comes along and says actually guys let me show you how a bike is meant to be hop on and we have to learn how to ride that new bike but it is more real and it's more true it's it's more of what is meant to be in the world and so what, Paul, what Paul's going to do now for the next several chapters, especially here in chapter 12, is he's going to give a whole list of examples of what does this look like? What does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? What does it mean to no longer conform to these old patterns? And so he goes into several, several ideas, several ways of living. But, but what I want to say, when we're going to dive into a little bit of this, but, I, but I, what I want to emphasize as we, as we move into this is what Paul is doing is not putting out a new law and a new set of instructions that says, okay, if you want to be found good enough in God's eyes, instead of living like this, I want you to live like this. Because for the last 11 chapters, Paul has been reminding us that 
all of our attempts to be good enough are not good enough. And he's not now saying, actually, here's the things that will make you good enough. What he's saying is, in view of God's mercy, that declares that you are enough because of Christ, not because of you. In view of his mercy, now respond this way. And it's, it's not a set of instructions that tells us, okay, here's, here's, what, uh, here's what's really going to make God more pleased with you and, and find you acceptable. It's, it's an invitation to a different world. It's an invitation to understand a different reality than the one that we have been adapted to our whole lives. And it's an invitation to begin doing the work of figuring out how to rewire our brains and, our, and through our actions to rewire our understanding of our world so that more fully grasps what God's mercy really means for you and for me and for our world. That we become the kind of people who live a response to this mercy. It's, an, it's, it's not a law. It's not a set of instructions that says, here's how you now become good enough. But it's an invitation to a deeper a more full understanding of how the world really works. And so here's what he says. Uh, just a couple things. I think the, for me the key one, there's, there's so I mean, we could, we could do several sermons here. People write books on, on what Paul is talking about here. But uh, just, to, just to survey, we could, I think for me the thing that has, has impacted me the most is these next, Five, six verses here from, from Paul. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of, one, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul's not giving us an exhaustive list of here are all the things that you, you need to do, but I think what's key here, and the key for us to continue to understand what does it mean, what are the practices that we ought to do, that we are invited to do, to continually retrain our minds, to be transformed, it starts with community. All of these things that Paul is giving these instructions, it's not as though we need to leave from here and say, okay, here are the things that I need to work on. And here are the things, so I'm going to go home and I'm going to make a list and I'm going to start working on these sorts of things. No, what Paul starts from the very beginning is, hey, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, don't think that you're so important that you don't need other people in this. And in the same way, don't think that other people don't need you. The, the, the fundamental way in which this changes is in community through one another that we are doing this together when we when we gather paul talks about in in verse one he talks about worship and this is kind of a side note um paul is saying that this is actually this transforming this 
this is actually what worship looks like. When we gather and when we sing songs together, and we, we often call that worship. We call this our worship service. And, and what we're doing here is, is hopefully worship. But this isn't all that worship is. Would you agree with that? Uh, and and what's, what's critical here is, is what I think what we're doing here when we gather on Sundays should never be our worship for the week. But what we're doing here is we are actually gathering to, to help one another transform, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We come and we gather and we see the people that, that we see every week and maybe some people that we don't necessarily get along with, but we're here and we're in the same room. And Paul actually says in another passage, he says, uh, when he talks about singing songs, oftentimes we think about singing songs and he's, we sing, we're singing worship to God. But what Paul says in, in Ephesians and what he says in Colossians both is he says, you're actually singing to one another. He says, sing songs to one another, making music in your hearts to the Lord. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And what we're doing actually when we sing together is we're reminding one another of the stories of God. We're reminding one another of the truth. And so when we sing a song like, uh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. This is a, a directly, I mean, we're singing to God, right? We're addressing the Lord. But we're also in this room with one another. And, and in some sense, we are vocally together announcing, asking together that we become a place where God more fully dwells and God is more made known. This is what the idea of the sanctuary was. The place where you would go and you would meet God. And we're asking, there's a sense in which when I sing that song, my hope is that those of you around me can remind me during the week of, hey, these actions right now, these aren't, this is not what you're asking about on Sunday morning. And then we're, we're committing, we gather in this place to commit to one another that we together desire to live in light of God's mercy. To move into the world in light of God's mercy. And so we have, we have gathered, and it's not just all of us singing, and I don't really feel like singing that song, but there's a commitment that we make together to one another, this body that says we are in this together. And we don't think of ourselves more highly than we are, but we understand that there's, there's a responsibility that we have. And so what Paul says here when he says, if each of you use your gifts as you've been given, is, is this responsibility to take what it is that God has put in your heart and to turn to the other person and to understand that you have a responsibility to serve other people. That God is not just interested in you somehow becoming more like Christ. And he's, not, he, he's interested in all of us doing this together and that we have this responsibility to one another, to challenge, to encourage, to spur one another on towards these ideals. That we have been invited together and we're working on this together. So he, he gives this, this challenge and then, uh, and then he, he goes on. Verse 9, he says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Again, we could, we could spend a, a day talking about each and every single one of these, and I think maybe we even have in the past several years. But this list goes on and on and on. And, and what I want us to stick with this morning, what I want us to, uh, to hold on to, as we think about relearning to ride a bike, is that these practices, again, I, I believe that what Paul is saying here and, and for us to understand how do we respond to the mercy of God. I believe that what Paul is saying here is not just know more of God's mercy. The way that we're transformed is by loving sincerely. By, by choosing to hate evil and cling to things that are good. That when we see evil in our world, we don't say, oh, that's just the way the world is. But we actually say, I don't want to have any part of that. And, and we, we name it as, well, yeah, he's kind of a, you know, okay person, and he just did this one bad thing. We say, no, that's a bad thing. Yes, he's a good person, but I'm not going to go along with that thing that I understand as being evil. That, that we, again, commit ourselves to one another with love that we choose when we come up against somebody with conflict, that we don't just walk away and say, well, never going to talk to that person again, or, but, but that we actually say, no, I love that person. I've been called to love that person. I've been invited to love that person. So even though I'm not super excited about getting into conflict with them right now, and I'd rather just walk away from it, I'm committed to loving that person. I'm not going to walk away. It doesn't mean you just keep arguing with them until they agree with you. It means that we commit to one another with love. That we're patient in our affliction. Like These things take practice, right? These are, these are, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How do we do this? How do we actually, when, when somebody attacks us, persecutes us, in whatever way we might feel persecuted, how do we train ourselves to respond with a blessing, with a good word for that person, rather than going to our friends saying, oh, can you believe what so-and-so said? Can you believe? But instead we respond with goodness and blessing. This is, this, is, this is not something that we just, well, I know God's love, I know God's mercy, and so I can do this, right? How many of you just got it, right? I can bless the people who are persecuting me all the time because I know God loves me. No, it requires work. It requires practice. It requires that, again, each and every one of us speak into one another's lives and say, okay, I hear what you're saying about what that person said, and I can understand that that's frustrating, but what might it look like to, to offer them a blessing right now? What might it, how might we speak a good word to them and, and respond with love and be devoted to that person? Maybe one time we do that right out of 20, right? Uh, 
But we do it. We do it that one time. And we keep practicing it up and down the driveway for as long as it takes. And, and hopefully, the idea behind this is that the more and more we practice these things that we are invited to in Romans, the not repaying evil for evil, uh, practicing hospitality, that these actions rework the lines, the pathways in our brains, that it becomes more and more natural. And, and it's going to be easier to fall back into the old patterns, right? Just like uh, it took him 80 days to learn how to ride the bike, and it only took him 20 minutes to relearn how to ride a normal bike. Uh, I'd be fascinated to know if he still knows how to do both or what that, what that looks like. But uh, it, it's easier to fall back into the old patterns. But the way that we develop the new patterns, again, is, is practice. Practice, practice, practice. And we do this... I can't emphasize this enough because I think this, this is... We live in such an individual culture where, where we're responsible for ourselves or maybe we're responsible for our own immediate family. But, but if you're here today, if, you're, if you... Uh, if you consider this your church home, then you have a responsibility to the people around you. It's, you're not, this, this isn't something that Paul is saying, each, every one of you, go work on this on your own. And, and I hope that you get this, I, this, I hope you see the connection to some of the other things that we've been talking about throughout the summer. When, when Josh was here and was, and was challenging us to, to get connected to one another. And when Pastor Jim was talking to us about the, the way that we walk and gave us suggestions about, about books that, that he has found helpful for, for how do we be intentional about this. If we... Josh, Josh asked us uh, when he was here, he says, do you want to live according to God's will? And, and most of us maybe sheepishly or not, raised their hand and said, yeah, of course we do. We're, we're committed to this. And he says, Paul's saying, this is how you know God's will. This is how you live into God's will, by practicing it on a regular, regular basis with one another. That we do this, we commit, we serve, we, we use our gifts to help the other person. But we don't do this in isolation. We don't do this by ourselves. We do this with one another. And, and I... I, as we as we transition into our fall programs, uh, part of what we do uh, when we gather for Sunday school, this is the the worship service is a time where where for the most part there's just a handful of us up front leading and, and teaching and doing the steps. Part of what we do when we gather for Sunday school is is it's a time where we are able to interact around these ideas together. And it's a little bit easier in a smaller group setting to ask questions and to talk about our struggles and our challenges. So I, I, I invite you, this isn't a plug for Sunday school, but it kind of is, I invite you to, to come and be a part of those discussions where we talk about what does it mean, okay, here's who this guy David was, declared a man after God's own heart, but he actually kind of messed up a bunch too. 
What does that look like? What does that look like for in, our, in our own lives where we uh, are declared loved by God, but we actually kind of mess up a bunch too? Uh, how, do we, how do we talk about these together? If, if I Get connected to, to, to somebody else in the church. Get connected. We, we have small groups that we'd love to get you connected to if you want to be a part of that. If you just want to have another individual who you're developing a relationship with that you're working, we'd love to have you connected. But I know a lot of you have been here for a while and probably know people that you can do this. But maybe the level of your relationship isn't such where you really talk about these things. It's like, oh, these are my friends that I get together and play pinnacle with or, or whatever. But we don't really talk about uh, the, the challenges and the ways that we're growing. We don't. I encourage you to... to Take that step in your relationships with the people around you. God is inviting us to, to understanding a different reality than the world has offered us. And let's be honest, the reality that the world offers us, for the most part, is pretty terrible. People are, these things that Paul is describing, uh, I mean, our, our world is filled with people who embrace hatred who embrace violence, who embrace things that lead to death, that lead to pain in our relationships. And people are mostly okay with that. People say, I'm not okay with that one, but I'd do this one over here. The reality that our world offers us is not very very life-giving. And I I believe, because I know know a lot of you people, I, I believe that we don't, want to be conformed to that reality. But the reality of our lives is that we've been so immersed in it that, that we don't even realize where it's creeping in. We don't even realize that we're still following these old patterns because it's just second nature. It's just like riding a bike. But I also believe that we as a community are, are filled with people who say, I'm not really satisfied with that. It's not what I want for for me and for us. And I want to do it differently, but I, I'm not really sure how. And and I think it's not just about knowing more things, but it's about living it out. It's about practicing it over and 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 over again. And that's what we're invited to do. So that we are not no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but we're transformed, knowing God's will, his good, perfect will, and we live that out in our lives. Let's pray. God, we... We, first of all, want to say thank you for your mercy, for the grace that chooses us when we have nothing to offer you. Uh, And God, I pray that if there's anybody here today who that idea alone is new to them, may they they hear those words that, that you have chosen them, that you have loved them as they are right now. And maybe they respond by saying yes to that grace, to that mercy. May they accept it in their own lives. 
And for all of us, Lord, we know that uh, even when we have experienced and, and known that mercy, that, that our lives don't often reflect that reality. So give us the courage as we're thinking about this to, to speak to one another, to, to find somebody that is going to challenge us, that's going to spur us on. Give us the courage uh, to not walk out of here and say, oh, that's, uh, that's a great idea, but those things seem too impossible. God, you have given us this reality that you've said this is possible. So may we, may we be and continue to be a community that seeks after you, that desires to be transformed, that lives out this invitation that you've given us. Because we believe that it is more true, and we believe that our world needs to see the truth of your mercy in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. You all sang that song. Well, I don't know about all of you, but I heard a lot of you singing. And as I said, uh, we're singing that to one another. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to hold you accountable to those, those words. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I hope that as you sang those words that that's your desire for your life. Um, and I hope that as you walk out of here that you take a look around you at the people who also sang those words. And my challenge is may you commit yourself to not only trying to live those words out in your own life, but may you commit yourself to the people around you. That we may be a people together who live our lives consecrated to the Lord. Who our love is poured out before the Lord together. We're, we're not in this alone. We're in this together. Uh, let us commit ourselves to one another and to the Lord this week. Thanks, Miss.